Debriefing today unplugs people's creativity by embracing the wonder of change. It seeks inspiration from maverick innovators and change makers to share their stories, experiences and dreams. The future is uncertain, ambiguous, unknown, challenging, novel. In the past month, how many times have you heard about these frightening words? Today, I'm joined by Louis Danhoff, whose expertise relate to teaching the use of futures to innovate in the present. Luz teaches at Anz University in the Netherlands and is UNESCO Chair's Futures Literacy in Higher Education. Hello Luz, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today. Hello Matea, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Fantastic, fantastic. So, when we were kids, um, especially when I was kids, I wish someone at school would told me Hello everyone, today we're going to study the use of the futures. We always study history, never the futures. So tell me about this. How can we teach the futures and where, where should we start the conversation when the matter is the futures? A uh, very good question. Thank you for this. Yeah, I'm not sure if I, if when I was a kid, I had wanted somebody to tell me we're going to teach the future, but I never really thought about it, but it's an interesting question because um, when we, when someone teaches history, uh, that history is heavily curated, right? Uh, somebody made the decisions on what to put in the history books and what to teach in class. So there's already, in some way, that narrative has already been, been colonized in the sense that, uh, you know, we say that history uh, victor is written by uh, victors, etc. Uh, so it's really, it has consequences for decisions you make when you teach um, uh, history. And the same uh, is actually the case for when you're uh, trying to teach the future. First of all, you can't because the future is unknown. Yeah? It doesn't exist. Um, it only exists in our imagination. It only exists uh, in the present through uh, anticipation. So we cannot teach the future in the sense that we know what is going to happen. Uh, but, um, although you cannot really do that in curricula, you do see that people are trying to teach us, so to speak, the future. They're trying to give us narratives. They are curating scenarios of the future through uh, media, through um, uh, big tech companies, uh, through Hollywood movies, uh, through stories and novels, etc. So we don't really get taught uh, the future, but we do get a lot of images and scenarios that other people curated for us, like this is what the future could look like. Now, so teaching the future is, um, is kind of a futile thing because it doesn't exist. So what we can do is teach how we use the future, so how we anticipate, because uh, we, we often don't really think about it. How we anticipate. We know we do. Uh, we know we, when we imagine the future, it is just that, our imagination. But we know very little about how we do that and especially the consequences it has for our behavior in the present. So when I say we're teaching uh, the futures, you're actually right. It's about teaching how to use the future. So it's not about teaching kids or young people, this is what's going to happen. It's about how do we anticipate? How does that work? And what impact does that have? And as a uh, as a senior lecturer at Hamza University, this is what we teach to uh, specifically master students. We're trying to teach them um, a capability that allows them to use futures 
for different purposes and in different contexts. So it's not much about the future, it's very much how we anticipate in the present. And it is an important capability uh, because at my university, the master students, they are uh, involved in interdisciplinary master programs. And all these master programs somehow revolve around transition, whether it's healthy aging or energy or leadership or entrepreneurship, et cetera. So um, uh, architecture, so there's all, all these industries, all these, these disciplines are somehow in transition. So that means that they deal with change and often complex situations. And um, maybe, yeah, if you think about uh, a complex, uh, um, about complexity and, and change and, and uncertainty, then having a certain set of futures being taught to you doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? because it is not per se that we want them to solve the complexity or to solve the uncertainty. We want them to um, learn, acquire a different attitude, a different capability to deal with the complexity, to approach uncertainty in a different way. So what we're really trying to do is teach them a competency, a skill, a capability that includes a mindset, but also an attitude that uh, allows that, hey, if I, okay, I see these scenarios, these futures, and this is what I think will happen, probable futures, there are plausible futures, there are possible futures, sure. But there's also the unknown and the uncertainty and the complexity. And how do we uh, make sure that we do not only learn how to get a better insight in how we plan and prepare the future, but also how can we be open for that unknown, for those non-plausible, non-plausible, non-known futures. And if we can do both, so if we can both be open towards one, planning and preparing the future, and to be open for novelty, the new, the unknown, that is the skill that we are trying to uh, teach. Uh, and that is really important, especially for students nowadays, uh, because um, uh, a lot of uh, the, the industries and, and that they're trying to uh, get jobs for, get educated for, are in transition, are changing, society is changing. So it seems like a really useful skill to be able to say, hey, uh, I can understand how I use futures. That makes me more resilient towards uh, um, uh, unexpected change or uh, uh, disruption. And that is a very useful skill for 21st, you know, a very, very useful 21st century skill. And you can, you know, talk about cognitive flexibility or there, there are several other uh, competencies related to that. But um, so, yeah, uh, and, and coming back to your question, how, what was it like if you were a kid and somebody would tell you, uh, I get that question asked actually a lot saying that, yeah, you work at a university and we understand that master students are older and they, they, you know, they learn the, these cognitive skills. Sure. Uh, what about kids? You know, what about if you're if you're a kid? Can you be can you acquire that kind of capability? Is that not too young to deal with complexity? Uh, and I would say that uh, as Rial Miller often describes as well, saying that everybody uses the future, right? So whether you're a kid, even a baby, uh, leaves on the trees, animals, they sense things, they anticipate. So if everybody uses the future, that means that everybody anticipates. That's what we mean by using the future, we anticipate. It's not there yet, but we're using it to make sense of the world, which is using her. And then the, uh, the image changes, the planning, the scenario, the, the changes. So we're just using that specific image in our mind. So when we anticipate, 
use a fusion, everybody does it, no matter what culture or age group you do. So even if in, in a young age, you can play with that idea and uh, to play with kids if they, um, uh, if they uh, anticipate on something, then uh, and we, we get, that constantly gets reinforced uh, without stimulating imagination, then they also uh, learn to use the future just in one way. So it is definitely possible. It's, it, of course, it's a difference in heuristics and, and exercise and activities, but it is possible. So uh, it's not about you're teaching futures, you're teaching uh, how to use futures. Yeah. And, and starting from your last point, how can we teach futures? What are methods to, you know, that people can, um, even on a day-to-day -day basis, maybe can, can use to, because the, the, the other aspect that, that you touch upon by um, describing teaching the futures and, and learning how to use the future is the inherent understanding and inherent cognitive aspect of thinking far away, so not short term. So decisions are made for and, and projects are made for for last, you know, to last and not just for um, short benefits. So then, you know, if, if you look at climate change, for example, which is a very hot topic at, at the moment, um, you know, in integrating uh, future thinking uh, and using the futures in uh, in policy design or you know, in, in, in any of the discipline that you described before, um, there is um, a key point of looking at long term mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and, and anticipating and be flexible in that um, yeah that's true yeah in terms of yeah uh, so how, how do you teach that because it is transformative in, in nature because it's it, we call it futures literacy because it is a competency that allows you to see multiple futures and use them right and once you start acquiring that capability it's kind of hard to, to not see different futures and to only focus on one. It's like learning how to read and write. So Rio Miller mentioned in your last podcast, the moment you uh, can read and write, it's almost impossible to envision what it was like before. And that is so fascinating what, what you just said, that when yeah. you are looking at future, you're not just looking at that, you're looking at a, pl yeah. a plateau of the different futures. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's, um, uh, so how do you, uh, how do you teach that? It's important that um, uh, we, we use a methodology which are called future literacy laboratories. And those are, um, they originate from UNESCO and they started developing and implementing those uh, laboratories. These really hands-on uh, workshops, but they are uh, in fact collective talent knowledge creation processes. So when you bring a group of people together and you explore um, uh, futures, probable futures and desirable futures, but also alternative futures that are not probable, but not desirable, just to get a better sense of what are we not seeing if we think about the future. So when I anticipate something, whether it's tomorrow or about next week or next year, I do that always based on assumptions. And by identifying these assumptions and examining them and exploring them, we can really open ourselves up for other possibilities and opportunities and things that we did not see before. I call them the, the gaps in our scenarios, the things we took for granted. So by doing that, we use a very hands-on learning by doing uh, workshops. Um, because I can explain this to you and uh, until a certain extent it makes sense and cognitively like, okay, I understand that. But it is really something that you need to experience uh, by going through the process. 
practice, by really being, uh, living in alternative futures and feeling what it means if your assumptions are being um, uh, laid open or being identified and being revealed. So it's, a, it's kind of an experimental workshop. So we do that through these uh, um, experiments, these, these uh, learning by doing labs, as we call them. Uh, but that's only the beginning, right? So when you have an experience like that, then it opens your eyes like, oh, this is, a, okay, now I, now I see how this works. I see I make, I anticipate, I make assumptions by doing so. And now I can identify these assumptions. Wonderful. But what, what's, what's next, right? So, and with every capability that needs practice and nurturing. So like if you want to learn how to read and write, you got to practice. If you want to learn a new language, practice speak. If you want to learn to play piano, you know, you have to do that too. So this means that you, uh, that you just have to practice this kind of thinking. There are several ways to do that. You can um, uh, participate in workshops. You can learn how to design and facilitate these workshops. You can implement this in your thinking. You can come up with questions, the reflective questions, asking yourselves, cater to your assumptions. So there are many different ways to do that, but um, and for each person who enters this uh, this go that goes on this learning voyage, um, yeah, it involves some kind of very individual, personal, but also complex learning journey. So um, with the master students, we teach them. Um, we always organize the, these workshops, these labs for them, and then we are. On top of that, we're training faculty to implement this kind of thinking in the curriculum. So once once the students have been in a lab with us, then actually comes the real work that they have to acquire to sustain and nurture this capability. Now, faculty can only do that if they are future learners themselves. So that's where it starts, right? If I want my students to become critical thinkers, I need to be think critically towards my own teaching too. So you need to practice what you preach. So that's what we do as well. Um, so that's 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 how we uh, that's how we teach it, and every, and it's still an ongoing learning journey. So when I say I'm teaching it, we are. I am with my team. We are, and at the same time, we're still learning because there's still so much that we don't know yet. And every group is different. It's like I said, it's a collective knowledge creation process. That means that a lot of the knowledge is created through the collective at that time within that group. So every time we acquire a lot of knowledge uh, uh, at, this, uh, at the same time. Now regarding to, to climate change and long-term thinking, yeah, you're absolutely right, right? So in that, uh, that uh, when we think about how to battle climate change, to fight climate change, um, people talk a lot about uh, the future generations. So saying that uh, we need to do something now for future generations, for the next, to leave the planet in a, at a better place. That's true, but it's also a danger in that because then you are basically uh, uh, making assumptions of what future generations will care about. Uh, and uh, if you are uh, focusing too much on the long term, then you might overlook what, what is happening, what are some of the signs and the signals in society today. Yeah. So if we're to, if, if we're, if we continue to see climate change as something of the future, long term, then we might overlook the signs that are already here and what are we what are we going to do in the present um and that is really important so i always say uh, it's not that how we behave today that influences the future it's how we look at the future that influences today 
So if we look at climate change as something of a far distant future, then that says, that says a lot about uh, uh, how we look at things today. So if we want to, if we're uh, becoming aware of assumptions that we're making, then we can actually change our behavior. And whatever derives from that, that is still unknown, right? So something will change, but uh, um, it's, we don't know that because the future is unknown in itself. So it, long term, uh, yes. Um, um, and it's, it's often uh, when we use the future for short term, for example, you and I were supposed to meet at 11. Uh, so I plan. First, I go to yoga, and I plan, I go on Zoom, and we have coffee, etc. So we plan long-term, plan and prepare for something, right? Uh, but then still making these, all these assumptions. I make an assumption that you will be here. Uh, I make an assumption the internet will work, etc. And, and those are very efficient assumptions to make. Right? It's a really efficient way of using the future to get things done and get through the day. But if it comes to, to larger strategic decisions and making sense, of the world, uh, looking at complexity and uncertainty, then some of the assumptions can be very restricting and can be lim very limiting and can hold us back and actually can maybe allow us to make the same the mistakes we made in the beginning. So that's why it's important to look at a multiple range of uh, using the future, short term or long term. Yeah, and last time when we talk about this, especially making assumptions um, that could, uh, you know, limit the, the vision, the view, and also can, uh, you know, challenging the, the, the success of uh, the company or the organization. Um, you mentioned um, Alex Hong Oh, yeah, yeah. Free solo. And I was fascinated because I love, I love nature, I love climbing, and I love that movie. And it was, I mean, you beautifully described planning for the unplannable. That's something that we cannot do it, but to some degree we can do it. And uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's interesting. Tell me yes. more about how uh, you I, I use that because for for listeners who don't know, Alex Honnold is a is the most famous solo free solo climber uh, in the world. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a documentary came out called Free Solo, and it was about him. Uh, climbing without a rope, without any sorts of protection, climbing El Capitan. And uh, they follow his steps and uh, how he approaches that challenge. And it is his journey towards that that is most interesting to me. Yes, his, his, his uh, athletic uh, feat is, of course, very impressive, but it's also his journey. Because what he does, uh, he plans and prepares for this journey by trying to eliminate all possible risks and uncertainty. Um, and to an extent that he practices all the passes that he makes and all the movements on the wall with, with a rope first. So what he said, ultimately, he, uh, he develops his attitudes towards uncertainty, saying that for me, this feels completely safe because I eliminated all the possible risks that high within my influence so training my body planning preparing the food the, all the movements all the cracks all the little things but of course there is always it's never risk-free right you're still climbing it can be a bird it can be something anything can, can still happen and that will be fatal so how we approach is that using maximizing uh, the elimination of risk 
completely doing that. And at the same time, embracing that idea that it's the minimal risk, but with maximum consequences. And um, uh, I, I, what I find so, so interesting is that, is that in his mind, he, it is, he's in total control. And there's still this element of just no control at all because there's this absolute fatal, fatal uh, uh, uncertainty and risk involved. And that's often how we, um, uh, and in, this, in his case, it works out well because he, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, everybody knows he makes it. <laughs> so he climbs El Capitan. But uh, if we approach the future like that, that it is makeable, that it's controllable, that it, we can prepare a plan for it and eliminate all the risks without acknowledging that they're still, without embracing that, that uncertainty at the same time, then I think we're making a big mistake. Because if you're relying on, 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 on futures that you can, can, can colonize, only plan and prepare, then every disruption, um, uh, and you do not acknowledge the, the consequence of the disruption, it comes as, as a huge shock. And uh, I think about you know uh, uh, Donald Trump getting elected, a very disruptive element for a lot of people because they could not imagine that that was an ele- that that was a risk as well, or that was something that could have happened. And then uh, uh, it takes a long time for people to. Um, um, yeah, to to approach that idea. But if you're if you're if you're what it really does is every disruption it lays out or it reveals the assumptions that you had in the first place. So it's not something to be upset about because the risk was always there. You just didn't you just didn't see it, right? So when people say times are more uncertain or risky, no, they were always uncertain and always risky. We just we just took things for granted. We just didn't see it because we were so focused on the planning and preparation. And Alex Honnold has, a, has an interesting approach because he acknowledges both. But the planning and preparation is heavily overdeveloped. <laughs> but he also it also fully embraces that minimal risk. Yeah, find it interesting. Absolutely. And I guess we recommend everyone to watch the movie. It has a great photography, but also... Uh, important underlying message of learning by doing by practicing and learning and yeah improving what you were doing before um i really like what you said before about um this future literacy lab to come inside the lab with assumption but also challenging those assumptions because there are different futures and there are different uh, stakeholders within those futures and then we can develop those together um, can you tell me more about how you run you conduct the future literacy lab yes it's it's um because uh, these 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 labs are, are uh, uh, unesco has been running and i also work uh, on a regular basis with unesco in running these laboratories but we ap- uh, apply them to a higher education because um uh, so often when we organizing a, a laboratory, which is really kind of an experiment where you bring certain elements together and your starts, you know, you don't know what's going to come out of it. Uh, we use it sometimes for policymakers or governments or companies to come up with uh, new insight, new ideas. 
uh, new questions that they can uh, implement in, in you know, their policies or, or missions or strategies. But for students, they need to acquire the capability. They're not interested in a new uh, uh, policy because they're just learning, right? So uh, when we teach this to students, when we are running these laboratories, we always follow the, uh, a three or four step process and which the first step is always about revealing uh, or talking about probable and desirable futures, just to get a sense of what are the assumptions in the room, right? So if I ask students, uh, what do you think is going to happen? They, for example, say, oh, uh, technology is very tech heavy, and, you know, or AI, and, uh, you know, they, they uh, talk about all these, these, what they see in the movies and uh, what they see Elon Musk is saying, etc. And then when you ask them what it is that you want to see, what is your desirable future, um, then often a very different pictures, picture comes up. It's a lot more about connection to nature, about working together, about empathy. And so these are all the assumptions that we're making. It tells us a lot about where they're at, students. Um, and then we give them a reframe scenario, which is an alternative scenario that does not speak to their prediction or their desirable futures. It's just something completely different based on the assumptions that they are making. Just to give them a tool to identify what these are. And we really uh, make room for students to explore those assumptions. What they what they not seeing, and just to give you an example, um, if their predictions uh, are very tech tech heavy, and uh, we are talking about um, uh, you know, if I give them a, a reframe scenario uh, in twenty fifty, uh, the technical developments have just completely stagnated since twenty twenty. Nothing has been developed, which is still using the same tech tools as we did in 2020. For them, that's, you know, that's, an, that's not a probable scenario, because they cannot, a, definitely not a desirable scenario. So, and then, so then they are thinking, okay, uh, so I'm actually assuming that this will continue to develop and that everybody wants it. That is not only that it is possible, but I'm also assuming that this is what society wants. And for them, they're, they're thinking, uh, but, but how, how that's not possible? I said, well, that's not the point, right? But why is that not possible? And they said, well, it makes me very, un very nervous. And I would ask, why does it make you nervous? Because what am I going to do? <laughs> so, well, <laughs> what if you, well, then we don't have any new games. I said, okay. Uh, what would you do with yourself if there are no new games? And they just cannot think of anything just because they're so, uh, betting on futures filled with technology that the idea that you can entertain yourself without it is just preposterous. So, and this is what Real Miller talks about as the poverty of imagination, that it's not, it's not because they don't have the capacity to imagine. Of course they do. But it's because all the scenarios around them tell them this is what's going to happen. So thinking about if you did not have that, what is, what is the human ingenuity what can we do as people to entertain ourselves or to occupy ourselves with, without technology, then that is really hard for them to think about. And, uh, and then this, these are students that study technology, right? The IT or uh, communication multimedia, et cetera, gaming, et cetera. So these, these students, it's very important. So, so that whole human aspect is kind of dropped off the radar. So we're trying to bring that back, not because we're saying uh, it's wrong to use technology, but saying that you're betting on one particular future, while we, there might be one without it. You know, that might be that we just don't know. So how how would you 
uh, approach that. And by doing so, we're seeing, funny enough, kind of a sense of resilience. Like, okay, actually just exploring this idea that I would not have, I would not live in a high-tech society. And what would that mean to me that I can actually do other things? It builds on their self-confidence and it, build, it builds an empowerment. Saying, hey, I'm, I'm not just this pawn in society and the future is coming at me and I just have to be ready. I can actually, by, you know, by exploring these different scenarios, I'm, I, I'm a part of the conversation. I'm not just somebody that just sits there and needs to be ready. And that is a very powerful realization for, for young people, thinking that I, I, I matter. You know, my imagination matters. What I think of things, how I feel about things matters. And that is really interesting in higher education because all of our higher education, of higher education really, is based on the pool from the future. There's the future, there are jobs, there's the job market, there are industries, and you need to be ready for it. Yeah? So you need, there are jobs already existing there and you need to educate yourself so you can do that job. But what if that completely changes? What does it do to the resilience, empowerment, self-confidence of students? It doesn't because they are felt I've been cheated, you know. I've been studying my whole life for something that is completely irrelevant. So it's really important to teach futures literacy, to for them to have a different relationship with the, with the future. And ultimately, that is what, what are, we see in young people, the most precious uh, uh, asset to it, the most precious consequence of, of what we teach, that is a sense of empowerment and, and, and self-confidence. And, um, uh, and that is, uh, so that also requires a different attitude. And uh, 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 being comfortable with complexity and uncertainty. You know, the whole educational system is often organized in the sense that this is what you need to do, and then you'll get a grade, and then you're done, and that's it. So it's all about show us what you know, a sense of control. And for them, so it's really scary to, uh, you know, to, to, to practice uh, not knowing, being comfortable with not knowing. And that's what we're trying to do because the future, the world society, the universe is not an Excel sheet. You know, it is, is not a prediction. It's not a metrics. It's, it's, it's complex. It's messy. And uh, we, just, um, uh, we just want them to be uh, comfortable with that, feel good about themselves in it. And, and yeah, the future uh, is in con constant flux and in constant evolution. Yes. So, um, yeah. I want to ask you one more question. Um, I actually wanted to close with this state, final statement that you said because it's fascinating. Um, but I, I would just like to ask you one more things related to to actually building those futures. Um, mm -hmm. Because you, you mentioned, you know, those guys are um, IT, gaming, uh, communication. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, we are developing, I mean, futures are inclusive, you know, there are many people living in the future, yes. many different disciplines. Um, how important is to have diversity and inclusion um, in, in hypothesizing those alternative futures when you run these uh, yeah. laboratories? Yeah. Very, very, very important. Very important. And yes, very, I'm glad you mentioned this because when I talk about a class of IT students, it's a very homogenic group, right? So 
uh, gets in that, of course, that, that, that yeah, speaks to the poverty of imagination. And exactly because they are so homogenic. So that's why if we are running these laboratories and the, the, these classes, we always want to add as many different disciplines, perspectives, not just across faculty or university disciplines or academic disciplines, but also in age, in generation, uh, background, cultures, uh, even languages. So the more diverse these knowledge laboratories are, is that the more the that rigorous imagination gets nurtured, right? So the more we're stretching our images. If you listen to other people in the group who have completely different visions of the future than you do, that already sets a lot of things in motion and makes you more aware of your assumptions to begin with, without even us giving you a reframe scenario. So that is incredibly important. And it's also important because the more homo if we work with groups that are that, that, that know each other, that have been working with each other, that from the same discipline, there's always a certain social dynamic in place. And that people fall into the same system, system thing, you know, they, they approach each other in a certain way that they're used to. And that's what we don't want. We want people to uh, to listen, to be, you know, maybe a little bit uncomfortable sometimes, uh, feel that they're on a learning journey, not to be placed in a certain social dynamic. So it's incredibly important. And also because some uh, some futures, whether you're in Western Europe or Northern Europe, or whether you're in, 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 in Western Africa, makes a huge difference on how you, you know, what, what, what stories and narratives and, and wisdoms you were brought up with. So it can be extremely uh, uh, powerful to listen to these different stories. And it is possible, the beauty of, uh, with a very diverse group, whether you're a CEO of a company, and the students, you know, somebody from this, uh, you know, from a different culture. If you bring people together, and you take them to the year 2050 or 2060 or 2100, nobody is an expert on that time period, right? You're only an expert on the past and today. But what tomorrow's going to happen? We just don't know. And that really uh, levels the playing field. So uh, I always see this as an incredibly, incredibly powerful tool to uh, um, to foster inclusion and, and equality because a student's approach to 2006 is just as valuable as a CEO, you know, who's been doing something his whole life. Everybody's vision and idea of the future is equally valid just because it doesn't exist. And that in itself is, um, yeah, it's just really cause just for a very, it's not, of course, you can't, doesn't always guarantee a complete safe environment, but it does help that ego and expertise are just less relevant because we're all going to this unknown territory uh, that we just don't know. And everybody brings their own anticipation image. And of course it happens sometimes that people say, oh, but I know what's going to happen in the future. Well, it doesn't take very long then to realize, oh, that's just my assumption. Right? <laughs> And everybody else has another assumption. Then you're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Inclusion, diversity is very important, and uh, uh, narratives that we can uh, we can learn from. Because a lot of our future narratives are completely colonized by overwhelmingly dominating uh, narratives and history books, going back to history books and media, and movies. And that's what we need to change. So that's the more diverse, um, the better. So we can. Uh, yeah. So the, the so the future is not only written by the victors. <laughs>
Yeah, no, <laughs> indeed. And I really like when you said that uh, you can be the CEO of any company or a kid. Mm. But when we are talking about something no one knows, you know, the people, the, you know, the, the badge that you have on, on your jacket, that can disappear because everyone is leveled to, we don't know that, how can we do the better for the, the, you know, the entirety of human species or even including the, the, the nature in that. No, but yeah, thank you so much, Luis, for sharing those great insights. No we have to be here. <laughs> the briefing today unplugs people's creativity by embracing the wonder of change. It seeks inspiration from maverick innovators and change makers to share their stories, experiences, and dreams.